0: Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast for the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you haven't already, we encourage you to check out our audio archive at vineyardcampbellsville.org. You can also subscribe on iTunes or wherever you like to get podcasts. And now, here's this week's message brought to you by Senior Pastor Adam Russell. Sunday. This is the second Sunday of Advent, and this is uh, the Sunday of peace. Last week was hope. This is peace. Next Sunday will be joy. And then final Sunday is love. And then on Christmas Eve, we will light the Christ candle. And I hope you will be here uh, for that as well. Uh, Here's what I want to do this morning. We're going to pick up our slow walk through uh, the book of Isaiah. We're just doing four weeks here uh, this month. And we are looking at all the messianic promises in the book of Isaiah, and we're discovering Jesus along the way. And before we look at our passage this morning out of Isaiah chapter 9, uh, I I just want to tell you that uh, I've done a little bit of thinking this week about peace, being as uh, it was peace week on the calendar, and being as I am the preaching pastor here, uh, spent a few days just thinking about peace a little bit, and while I was... Sort of stewing on peace, especially on the plane ride home this week, uh, I was thinking about some of the ways in which peace is a little bit unique as a uh, as an aspiration or as a hope or as a quality that uh, you and I might want in our lives. And one of the things that's unique about peace is that you and I are able to conceive of peace uh, both in the macro and in the micro. Uh, both in really big terms and then also really small terms. Uh, There's something about human beings. We're able to conceive of peace as something that we might want as individuals. But then also, uh, especially this time of year, we can conceive of peace as something that maybe the world needs, right? Uh, It's a really, really strange thing. So there's a sense in which most of us in the room, uh, depending on where you're at in your life or how you're doing, Uh, You might be awake to the fact that you either have peace or don't, and if you don't, then maybe you need peace, but then maybe also uh, we're a little bit awake to the ways in which the world needs peace, right? So there's this individualized uh, form of it, but then there's also this global that's micro and it's macro, and what's interesting about that is a lot of the other qualities that we associate with Christmas or with Advent or even the fruits of the Spirit, they don't necessarily work that way, right? So think about joy. How many of you in here would like to have uh, joy for your life? You know, and everybody puts their hand up. How many of you have ever conceived of global joy, you know? And the truth is, for the most part, we just haven't. We just haven't conceived of global joy. We haven't really conceived of of global hope, some of the other themes inside of Advent. But peace is something that we want and we want the world to have, right? And I was thinking about how weird that is this week, about how we rarely... uh, uh, aspire to global tenderness or, uh, or global kindness, those, those fruits of gentleness. Like, I would want to be gentle, but I've not really conceived of global gentleness, you know, those fruits of the Spirit in the way that we have with peace. I was thinking, why is that, you know? And I think one of the reasons that we've sort of dropped into this manner with peace is because without really knowing it or without articulating it, I think human beings have sort of put uh, our collective finger on the primary or the foundational nature of peace. And, and what I mean by that is this. How many of you have ever noticed that if you have peace, you have a lot of other things? Right? Or, here's what I mean. I'm, I mean this. Uh, how many of you know that if you don't have peace, I promise you, you won't have joy? Right? So there's this sense in which peace, uh, by its very nature, makes room for everything else, you know, uh, if you were thinking of building a home or, or some building and the first thing you always do is you build the you build foundation, you know, and there's a sense in which uh, the, the things that have to do with God's kingdom, the things that have to do with the work of the Spirit, the things that have to do with uh, really the manifestation of goodness in the world and in our own hearts, it's all built upon a foundation of peace. If peace is present, then all of this other stuff tends to be present as well. And that's why we want to come to it this morning, both in our passage and then also in the rest of our thinking and contemplation this morning. I want to read you a little bit of a piece of scripture out of the book of Isaiah. It goes like this. Isaiah says, Nevertheless, That time of darkness and despair will not go on forever. The land of Zebulun and Naphtali will be humbled, but there will be a time in the future when the Galilee of the Gentiles, which lies along the road that runs between the Jordan and the sea, will be filled with glory. For a child is born to us, son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. For His government and His peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of His ancestor David for all eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord of Heaven's armies will make this happen. We'll stop there. That's our passage this morning. We're looking at just a few verses out of the prophet Isaiah. And before we jump into everything that I want to say this morning, uh, I want to just hold this out for you. Uh, Most Bible scholars believe that one way of dividing the book of Isaiah is something like this. You can kind of break it into three pieces. Uh, The first third or so of the book, uh, the messianic hope that Isaiah holds out to us is one of a messianic ruler or a messianic king. Uh, The next section, uh, that messianic metaphor changes from king or ruler, and it morphs into servant. And then at the end, there is a messianic messenger or one who calls out. But what we see in this morning's passage, because we're at the kind of the front of the book here in Isaiah chapter 9, is we see that messianic hope taking on the form of like a ruler or a king. And one of the things that I hope you saw this morning that Isaiah was holding out to us was that the Messianic hope is not just seated in a ruler or a king, but it's seated in a particular kind of ruler and a particular kind of king. How many of you guys noticed this morning that the language in the passage, it had to do with uh, rulers and government? Did you notice that stuff? Uh, And then did you notice that some of the language is kind of surprising, right? Uh, he's wonderful God, uh, wonderful counselor, mighty God, and then he's the prince of peace, right? So that's kind of like, okay, that's different. And then, then Isaiah says, this, this one who's coming, this ruler who's coming, uh, of the increase of his government, and then there's another little phrase there, and peace, there will be no end. And how many of you know, that's, like a, that's a weird thing. That's like surprising and strange. There's something about this Messiah who would come, Uh, which is to say, Jesus, there's something about Jesus. Uh, There's something about his leadership, and there's something about his kingdom, and it just seems to sort of like run counter to everything else that we would typically associate with rulers and kings. There's just something about Jesus. Uh, Here's the thing about Jesus. He's a Prince of Peace. This is one of the most unique parts of Jesus. This is one of the most unique parts of his kingdom. His kingdom is a kingdom of peace. Uh, And this is good news this morning. It's good news because not everybody in the room this morning is a person of peace. Not everybody here is a person of peace. We're not all people of peace. Uh, Not only that, but the world we live in has not yet succumbed to peace. I want to talk to us just for a moment about us as individuals, and then I want to talk to us about the world for a moment. Uh, Many people in the room this morning, especially if you put all of us together with first service as well, many of us are living lives plagued by anxiety and concern. Some of us here really, really, really struggle with anxiety. Uh, There's a sense in which uh, this is a part of the human condition. Being an anxious person, There's a sense in which it's just a part of what it means to be a human. Why? Because life is really hard. I don't know if you've discovered that yet, but life can be really, really difficult. And if your life is not hard right now, uh, here's some good news it will get really difficult one day in the future. You know? That's what I've found. And if your life is really, really hard right now, good news, it'll pass. You know? We just go through these cycles, don't we? You know, if you have to be honest, you go through cycles where everything is like really good and you can't imagine anything getting any better. And then all of a sudden you look up and life is really, really hard, you know. And because of that, we can live lives of like concern or anxiety. Uh, Not only that, but like just the regular grind, Uh, working a job, having relationships, paying the bills. Anybody here excited about paying the bills in December? Like super stoked. Uh, Having friends, Uh, maybe Maybe just having a life goal or two. Uh, How many of you have ever had a life goal, got really stoked about the life goal, then started working on the life goal and realized, this is going to be way harder than I thought. (laughs) You know, this is going to be really, really tough. Uh, Good news. That's how it goes, right? Uh, And then on top of all that, on top of all that, some of us here in this room are facing really serious issues, you know? Here at the Vineyard, we got lots of people who are facing really serious issues. What kind of issues? Well, some of us have bodies that are not cooperating with us, you know? Some of us are, like, sick, and we have bodies that are not cooperating with us, and we've gone to all the doctors, and we've taken all the pills, and we read WebMD, and we thought we were going to die immediately, only to find out we're not going to die immediately. Uh, we are going to die, so it's going to be later And nothing seems to be working, you know? Some of us have bodies that are just, like, not cooperating with us. You've, like, you've gotten prayer, you've taken the pills, you've gone to the doctor, and you're like, what now? Uh, Not only that, but some of us in this room uh, come from homes that are wrecked with uh, just intense turmoil. Some people in this room live in atmospheres that are not fit for human beings, you know? And not only that... But some of us have escaped those, and now we carry the echoes and we carry the resonances of tremendous home turmoil. And you carry it in your body. And even on really good days, when you get off on Friday, uh, you get off early on Friday. The boss lets you go, and he pays you, and maybe you even get like a little bonus. And all the food that you really like is at Kroger, and you have money in the bank. And you get home, and you're going to watch your favorite movie. Even when you settle into the couch, there's just the resonances of a life that you lived before and it hasn't gone away. And how do I know this? Because this happens to people, right? Some of us are living really troubled lives. And then on top of that, uh, some of us in the room have body chemistry that just makes us susceptible to worry and anxiety. Some of us here just have chemistry that's working against us, it seems like. And here's what I want to tell you if that's you this morning. If that's you in any way, I want you to tell, I want to tell you there's no shame in any of it. There is no shame in any of it. The other thing I want to tell you is if that's you, you've come to the right place. You come to the right place. Here's why. Because Jesus is the Prince of Peace. Uh, He's the Prince of Peace for you and for us. That's us as individuals. But I want to talk to us about the world that we live in, just for a moment as well. Because the world we live in is not at peace either. Did a little digging this week on some really boring websites. You know, websites that end in .gov. There's no pictures. (laughs) Oh, man. You know those websites? It's like rows and columns. Rows and columns. And one of the things that I found out this week in digging on websites with rows and columns Ending in .gov is that right now in the world, there are about 50 active conflicts happening all over the globe in every kind of place. Not only that, but of the 50, six are major wars. Six are major wars. Uh, And you and I both know this. You can't flip on the news without seeing the stories, right? You can't flip on the news. Uh, This year alone in Afghanistan, 41,000 people have been killed in Afghanistan, Uh, And by the way, that number is up from last year, and it's up from the year before that as well. Think about that. Think about that for a minute. 41,000 people. A lot of them are innocent people. Well, a lot of them were little kids who just wanted to play, right? Here's another way to think about it. 41,000 people. Four times more people were killed in Afghanistan than live in Campbellsville. Campbellsville is a city of about 11,000, you know? We have a world that's at war. We have a world that's in conflict. Now, the good news, I'll give you a little good news because I don't want to end heavy there. The good news is that since 1950, the number of people who have been killed in conflict has dropped like a rock. But it only looks good on a graph because the number in 1950 was so atrocious, right? Through the 40s and 50s, the numbers were so horrific that the numbers now pale in comparison, but when you, when you personalize the numbers that are present with us now, when you put them in the context of the city that we live in or the homes that we have or the families that we share or the state or the country that we live in, you realize something's not right. You know? Think about that. Think about that. There's a sense in which we've not yet learned how to live in harmony with the rest of the planet. There's one more layer to this as well, so there's like individual turmoil, individual anxiety and 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 um, worry and concern, but then there's also global conflict, but then there's another layer, and it's really subtle, you know it's the sort of layer that if you don't want to see it, you don't have to see it, and it goes something like this uh, again, more digging on websites that have dot gov endings. Um, how many of you know that that like that things like the rainforests are on fire uh, more than they've ever been in the last 150 years right and and some of the rainforest is on fire and here's why basically the rainforest is on fire at just like at staggering amounts uh, it's because some for the most part uh, really really poor people realized that it would make them more money to farm cattle than to keep the rainforest right and so it gets just obliterated, ancient rainforest, right? And so there's this sense in which uh, the planet that we live on is succumbing to uh, just what it means to have seven and a half billion people living here. And by the way, the numbers are that by 2050, we're probably going to have 14 billion people living here, right? Uh, Things are happening all around us. The world is being changed. Most scientists believe that we're living in the middle of the sixth major plant and animal extinction that's happened in our world, meaning that there are just consequences to that many people being here. And so people seem to be flourishing, but there's a sense in which the planet is maybe undergoing some sort of a shift. And by the way, I want to tell you something this morning. Uh, God cares about all this stuff, right? Uh, God cares about your personal anxiety. God cares about your personal Concerns. God cares about your personal struggles. Not only that, but God cares about a global conflict. God cares about all the people who died in Afghanistan, every single one. And then to make it even crazier, God is such a God of concern uh, that He cares about every plant and every single animal. Uh, he cares about the, the construction of the ecosystem. Jesus says this that your Father in heaven knows every hair that's on your head. And he also knows when every sparrow falls to the ground. Why? Because he's a God of concern, right? And so there's this sense in which, both at an individual level, at a global conflict level, and then at almost invisible, economic, uh, gosh, just earth levels, the planet that we live on is suffering in a way that isn't okay. And these are all things that God cares about. So what do we do in the meantime? What is the thing that we do in the meantime? Well, here's what we do. We wait. Y'all remember that Tom Petty song? What did Tom Petty say about waiting? It's the hardest thing. That's right. Y'all, some of y'all can sing it, can't you? Y'all want to sing it? <laughs> the waiting is the hardest part. should have played it this morning. Yeah, so what do we do in the meantime? Uh, we wait. That's what we do. By the way, waiting, or the word wait, that's an Advent word. But because we're Christians, we don't, we don't passively just wait. We, we don't just sit around and wait for the end to come. We wait in particular kinds of ways. And I just want to share a few ways in which we can wait. One of the main ways that we can wait is uh, to begin to name all of our individual uh, and global issues begin to name them. Begin to remind God of all of our very very personal issues, and then all of our community issues, and then all of our global community issues. Actually, to give them names and to and to and to remind God that unless He comes and unless He does something, that these things uh, may not may not get the attention and the care that they need. Uh, this, is, this is what the people of God have done for centuries. When Isaiah was prophesying a Messiah who would come, uh, the people waited. And how long did they wait? They waited 700 years, they waited. And they reminded God that they needed saving. And part of what Advent means is we're not just looking for a Jesus who came, but we're looking for a Jesus who's going to come again. And in the meantime of waiting, what we do is we begin to name things. Uh, What we're going to do at the end of this service is we're actually going to name some things. We're going to do it out loud. And uh, the extroverts are pretty excited about that. Some of the introverts are less excited, but it was actually a holy moment this morning. We're going to hold a little space for naming things. Uh, God needs to know if you have concerns. Uh, One of the New Testament writers puts it like this. Cast all your cares on the Lord, right? Uh, Because why? Because he cares about them. That's what Peter says. Cast your cares. We're going to do that. How do we wait? We name. We remind God of the things that are happening. It's the first thing we do. Second thing we do, uh, not only naming, uh, we begin to anticipate, we begin to anticipate uh, the return of God. We begin to anticipate the, the coming of the king, and we anticipate that by anticipating the future. How many of you can't imagine uh, what life will be like when Jesus takes his proper seat and begins to work every wrong thing out? Uh, if you can't imagine that, begin to ask God to give you his imagination this is how we anticipate the future every great athlete anticipates every great athlete anticipates Uh, in the nfl when a quarterback throws to the receiver he's actually throwing the ball before the receiver is open he's he's throwing the ball to where the receiver will be great quarterbacks have to anticipate what's happening before it ever even happens Uh, not only that but lots of parents anticipate the weddings of their children and they put back some money or they buy some wine and stack it up. I know a guy right now who's, who's anticipating a party. I know a man right now who's anticipating a party and he's been saving wine for three years for a hoedown that is going to happen but is still several years off. And every single paycheck that he gets he buys two or three more bottles of really nice wine, and he sits it back. Why? He's anticipating the future. And what kind of a future is he anticipating? A party? right? Yeah. We begin to anticipate the future. And then these kinds of discussions, I can't help but think of music because I'm a musician. Great musicians, great musicians, they're all given to practice. Uh, They practice and practice. They learn and they stretch themselves. And all the practice and all the learning is a way of anticipating the moment that they need to perform. Uh, Depending on the kind of music that's being played, it's a way of setting oneself up for that moment that might be improvisational. Anybody here ever listen to jazz? Anybody here ever listen to jazz? Uh, On my way home from California with my son, he and I were in the car, and we started listening to jazz. I said, River, what do you listen to lately? He says, honestly, Dad, I'm listening to Charlie Parker. I'm like, great, let's listen to Charlie Parker, right? And so we started listening to Charlie Parker, and one of the cool things about like really great jazz, like John Coltrane or Charlie Parker, is all great jazz will start with a theme, right? There'll be a melodic theme. It'll be like the hook. Uh, you play the hook. You give the hook. You let somebody else in the band play the hook. You let somebody else play the hook, and then what do you do? You improvise, you like dissociate and you deconstruct the hook, right? And then what do you do at the end? You play the hook, you know? And what do great musicians do? They practice and practice, but they don't just practice the hook. They're practicing everything that's around the hook. They're practicing everything that makes the hook the hook. That way, when it comes to be their turn to improvise, they can play without thinking, right? This is how we live in the kingdom of God. We begin to anticipate the future. How do we do that? We name the issues of our life. We name the issues of our world, and we begin to anticipate the new world. And and one thing we know this morning is that the world that is coming is going to be founded on peace. Uh, The the world that Jesus Jesus is coming to rule and reign over is going to be a world that's founded in peace. The ruler of the world is the prince of peace. Uh, And you just If you want to sometime this week, you should just contrast that with all the other kings and rulers of the world. Uh, If you go to a great city in the world, one of the common themes that you will see in almost every great city is that there will be a square and usually there's uh, some sort of a monument and what's on every monument in every center of every city uh, in the world. Uh, Usually some guy on a horse with a sword or a gun, right? Every time, why? Because we have a world that's mostly been constructed in a form that is profoundly counter to God's kingdom. Profoundly counter. Jesus says in the Beatitudes, he says, blessed are the peacemakers. Right? That's a really, it's a really interesting word. Blessed are the peacemakers. Uh, read for that. Blessed are the men and women who are working for peace, not just people who are intellectually okay with an atmosphere of peace. Blessed are people who are giving their lives to peace. What what is he saying? He's saying, blessed are people who are anticipating the future. You know? Blessed are people who are anticipating the way it's really going to be. They'll be called sons and daughters of God. Why? Because the Father in heaven, he's a man of peace. Uh, Our Father is a person of peace. It's our family DNA. And what does that mean? Uh, Well, here's what it means really, really practically, church, for us in the room. Uh, It means maybe this week or in the next two weeks, it means working things out with people. You know, how could we anticipate the future? Well, we could name our own issues, we could name the world's issues. We could begin to have an imagination for what the world will be under Jesus' leadership. But then, really practically, we could begin to become peacemakers. And the first step in becoming a peacemaker is being someone who's at peace with the world. And if there's anyone that we're not right with, maybe in the next three weeks we could just go and get everything right with them. I had a beautiful moment this week. I was recording music in California, two different studios. And in the second studio I was at, they were tracking in this big room, and it was really beautiful, and I can't wait to release the music. So fun, right? But while they were doing that, I was recording podcasts, and I was uh, interviewing some really great people, and right before I was pressing record with one of kind of my heroes, right before I pressed record, uh, this guy said to me, he said, hey, don't don't press record yet. I want to talk to you. I said, okay, sure, what? And he said, "Uh, I want to, I, I need to talk to you about something. And so we began, without going into the details, we began to talk about some of his own historic pain, right? Some of his own historic pain uh, that's connected to some relationships of people that I know, right? And he was like, I just want to make sure that all of us are okay, right? It was beautiful. It's been the best part of my week. Uh, And as much as I love recording music, as as much as I love being in creative spaces as much as my heart comes alive the thing that trumped it all was having a conversation with someone that was reconciliatory in nature reconciling I speak for a living it was beautiful like how could we anticipate the future here's a really practical thing we could just settle things with people you know what's great having emotionally mature conversations with people where we work it out. It's just great. It's really great. Uh, You know, one of the things we do in the South, we write people off. You know what we'll do in the South? We'll be nice to people to their face and burn them down behind their backs. It's one of the things I love about the Northeast. They'll just tell you what they think to your face. In the South, in the South, we'll be like, oh, you're great. Boom, you know? Yeah, uh, let me tell you something about Campbellsville. Uh, whoever we have any issue with, we're going to see at Kroger. And you don't want to be that person who's like, and then around the aisle, you know, you don't want to be that person who wants to be so small, right? Like, how could we anticipate the future? Well, uh, let's go ahead and anticipate the future where the Prince of Peace is the man in charge. And of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Uh, Why don't we go ahead and anticipate uh, living under his leadership by being reconciling peacemakers who are putting putting an end to whatever issues we have with anyone because the future is going to leave no room for being a person who has issues with everyone. Does this make sense? Being a forgiver. I would say it again, but I don't think I can. (laughs) It's not in my notes. How else can we anticipate the future? Uh, By standing next to the weak, the needy, and the vulnerable. You know, Standing standing with those who really, really need some help. That's the Jesus way. That's always the Jesus way. And here's the thing. When it comes to peace, when it comes to hope and joy, all these things, I want you to know we'll always be tempted to employ other methods. We'll be tempted to believe that the ends justify the means, that the outcome is all that matters. Uh, the main contrast between Jesus's leadership and every other leader, the main contrast between the kingdom of heaven and every other earthly kingdom is that in the kingdom of heaven, the ends never justify the means. And every every government, uh, the USA, France, Great Britain, China, you name it, Afghanistan, uh, the United Arab Emirates, Qatar, you name it, every other organizing political force that has ever been has always been founded on this principle ultimately. The ends justify the means. This is never the way of Jesus. We'll be tempted to do that. Why? Because it's a shortcut. It's a shortcut. There's always that temptation when it comes to the things of God, especially when it comes to peace. The thing that's required for peace is another kind of imagination. Can we conceive of another kind of world? Why do we need why do we need another kind of imagination? Very simple. Because we'll never be able to shoot our way to peace. We'll never, be able, we'll never be able to drop a bomb on the problem. Not ultimately. We'll have to work it out. And if we're going to become people of peace or people who've developed an imagination for peace, we must understand that the kind of peace that Jesus has in mind is the peace where it's the method and not just the outcome. Right? It's the method and not just the outcome. In God's kingdom, the ends don't necessarily justify the means. In God's kingdom, peace is both the destination and it's the path. It's always, always the path. Last thing I want to say to you about this is this is going to be a marathon. It's that waiting word. Just so we're clear, this kind of a waiting and this kind of thing, it could go on for a minute. I've already told you that. There were 700 years between the time of Isaiah and his prophecy about the Messiah and the birth of Jesus. 700 years. Uh, Not only that, but we've been waiting 2,000 years for the return of Jesus. Uh, Here's another little thought experiment. What if the waiting that the church is doing, what if it's just started? You know, if you grew up evangelical, especially in America, if you grew up evangelical in America, most of us have grown up assuming that, well, Jesus is probably coming tomorrow, right? Right? Uh, And it's not a bad way to live. The truth is, he might. Uh, But here's the other possibility. Uh, Maybe he's not coming back for another 10,000 years. Maybe this is going to be quite the marathon. Quite the marathon. You know? Uh, Ray Hollenbach told me that there there were Christians in the late 70s and early 80s who were so convinced that Jesus was coming back soon, they just ran up massive amounts of credit card debt. Right? Why not? Jesus is coming back. And we laugh about it now, right? We laugh about it now. It's hilarious. It's foolish, right? Why did they do it? Because they couldn't conceive of having to really, really wait. They couldn't conceive of the marathon, thought it was a sprint, right? And most things in God's kingdom are not a sprint. They're a marathon. Uh, One of the things that you'll find while reading the Bible is God is rarely in a hurry. Uh, You can read all four Gospels, and the one thing you'll never see is Jesus running, Jesus only walks. People come to Jesus all the time. They'll say things like this. Uh, Jesus, my daughter is almost dead. She's really, really sick. And Jesus is like, I'll go with you. The guy who came to him ran, but Jesus will not run with him. He just walks, right? Uh, on another time, you guys remember Lazarus? You do remember Lazarus? Poor Lazarus. Uh, Lazarus's sisters come to him, and they're like, Jesus. You know, they send word. Jesus, Lazarus is almost dead. Will you come? And Jesus is like, I will come. And after he tells them that he will come to Lazarus, he stays where he's at for three days until he's dead. And then he goes. And when he went, he did not run. Jesus doesn't run. God is not in a hurry. Uh, Read for that. God is not anxious. God is not concerned. God is deeply, deeply, deeply a person of peace. Deeply. Even on this world, and in our own front yards or side yards, maybe you have a fruit tree. It takes a year for that apple to show up. It takes a whole year. For five months in Kentucky, the tree will be dormant, and then it will come to life, and it will flower. And then it will set fruit, and it will take months for that thing to be ready to harvest. The good stuff rarely comes quickly, so we can't sprint. In all of our naming, anticipating, reimagining, in all of our working for peace, we can't sprint for this stuff. Uh, Here's what happens if you sprint for peace. If you sprint for peace in your personal life, if you or I sprint for peace in our personal lives, we often end up with addictions and severe codependency. How many of you know that no one becomes an alcoholic because they want to have headaches and bad relationships with people? You know? You know what I want? I want hangovers every day, and I want to yell at people. I want to disappoint my children. You know what I'm hoping for? I'm hoping to embarrass my family publicly. You know what I'd love? A DUI. No. No, people get addictions, and people become alcoholics because they tried to sprint for peace, right? They tried to take a shortcut. Because in the short term, the alcohol dulls whatever issue is there. In the short term, the drug dulls whatever's really, really there, and we don't want to face it because we know the thing that's there isn't going to be uprooted in a day. You know? What happens if you sprint for peace? You'll end up with an addiction, or you'll become supremely codependent with someone, and it'll be really, really hard. Right? What happens if we sprint for peace in the world? What happens if we sprint for peace in the world? Oh, we could end up killing a bunch of people that Jesus loves. And I think we've seen that over and over again. What is it it that we should do? It's best to slow down and walk with Jesus at his pace. There's a Japanese theologian. There's a Japanese theologian. And he says that the gospel is a three-mile-an-hour gospel. Meaning... That's about how fast you go when you're walking. Best to slow down to Jesus' pace and begin to bring some peace to the world, at least in our own hearts. Uh, Thomas Merton says, if I'm at peace, then at least there's some peace in this world, right? That's the invitation this morning. So what do we do this morning? We're going gonna to surface all that's turbulent and hold it before God because that's what you do at Advent. We're going to hold some things out. So if you are on the ministry team this morning, why don't you come on up? And why don't everyone else stand up this morning? Thanks again for stopping by the podcast of the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you'd like to keep up with what's happening at the Vineyard, you can follow us on social media. Until next time.